Here's another study from Calvary Chapel, Rochester. Leviticus chapter 8. Uh, this chapter deals with the consecration of Aaron and his sons for service in the tabernacle. So uh, they've been selected. God chose Aaron and his descendants after him to be the high priests of Israel and the priests, the Levitical priests. And, uh, and so before they can, the tabernacle's been constructed and everything, before they can actually officiate in the tabernacle, they need to be consecrated. And so chapter 8 is all about the process of consecration uh, for Aaron the high priest and his sons who'd serve as priests with him for service in the tabernacle. And it's my prayer as we go through that this, evening, uh, this morning that we'll see some applications for us because you know the Bible says we're a royal priesthood. We're a chosen generation. And so consecration applies to us as well. So let's take a look at this. Chapter 8 verse 1. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Take Aaron and his sons with him, and the garments, the anointing oil, a bull as the sin offering, two rams, and a basket of unleavened bread, and gather all the congregation together at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. So Moses did as the Lord commanded him, and the, com and the congregation was gathered together at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. And Moses said to the congregation, This is what the Lord commanded to be done. Then Moses brought Aaron and his sons and washed them with water. Uh, we went through the book of Exodus before, and in Exodus chapter 29, God's giving all these commandments of what the children of Israel will do, and now they're at the point here in chapter 8 where they're fulfilling, obeying what God commanded them to do. And so part of this consecration, in fact, the very first thing that we see here that takes place is the sin offering. And the reason why is because sin always needs to be addressed first in our lives. That's the first thing. God cannot use you or me if we're in a state of unrepentant sin. Sin has to be addressed, addressed with. And so here, the very first thing that's taking place is the sin offering. Now, in this case, all the congregation of the children of Israel, they were there to witness the consecration of the priests. And so this was a very public event that's taking place. And you'll notice that it says that it was at the door of the tabernacle. Uh, this is where all this would take place. You know, it's interesting. Jesus said in John chapter 10, verses, uh, uh, verse 9, he says, I am the door. And so we see a correlation here, a picture, uh, where they are coming to the door where this is taking place. And so Aaron and his sons, they were washed by Moses. And that's kind of interesting because here they couldn't do it by themselves, you know, just, and this is a, a ritual cleansing. It's not like a bath that they're taking, but they're cleansing themselves uh, ceremonially. Um, but they couldn't do it by themselves. They had to stand there, and Moses was the one that's pouring the water on them to cleanse them. Uh, so, and, and again, think of it. They're in front of the whole congregation of the children of Israel. So that would be kind of humbling, I would think. Uh, so there's some humility that's taking place here. And you know, when we come to Christ uh, in repentance of our sins, there has to be some humility there. There has to be a level of, you know, just being uh, 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 humbly coming to the Lord. And so we see that picture here. And so Moses washed them with water. Again, so much symbolism. Significant is that it's the water that cleansed them. Because we know in the New Testament, in Ephesians uh, 5, verse 26, we're told that the word of God, it's, it's pictured as water. Um, 
in, in throughout the Bible. And so how does God's word wash you and I? Well, you got to read it first, right? And so we read God's word. As the Holy Spirit convicts us, then we respond to God's word. And as we're doing it, that's the process of being cleansed in our lives. And then, you know, the cool thing is no one is beyond being able to be cleansed. No one is beyond. No one's done too much or been too bad or so evil. Listen to what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6, verse 9 and 11. He says, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Just think of the church in Corinth, made up of all those different kinds of individuals. And yet they were washed, and they were cleansed, and they were justified. And so no one is beyond being able to be cleansed from their sins. And I like what it says in Hebrews 10, 22. It says, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Sometimes, you know, you, you confess a sin and you pray and you ask God to forgive you. And, and you know that he does because the word says that, for, you know, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us. But sometimes do you not feel, it's like I still, I just feel unworthy. I feel, you know, like I don't, I, I don't have this forgiven feeling and I, I feel guilty and ashamed. But that's when we go by faith. That's when you trust God's word and you go and, and you have that assurance of faith and you still approach the throne. So the first step they're getting washed. The next step we see here in verses 7 through 9 is they're getting dressed. Verse 7, And he put the tunic on him, girded him with a sash, clothed him with the robe, and put the ephod on him. And he girded him with the intricately woven band of the ephod, excuse me, and with it tied the ephod on him. Then he put the breastplate on him, and he put the urim and the thummim in the breastplate. And he put the turban on his head, also on the turban on its front, he put the golden plate, the holy crown, as the Lord had commanded Moses. And so here, the priests, Aaron and his sons, they've been washed. But they don't go and put their old clothes back on. They're given new clothes to wear, priestly garments. There's a very interesting vision that Zechariah has in his letter. Zechariah chapter 3, verse 1. He relates it to us. He says, then he showed me Joshua, the high priest. Now, that's not the Joshua, the book of Joshua. This is Joshua, the son of Jehozadak. We find that out in Haggai 1, who he's talking about. But he says, then he showed me Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord and Satan standing at his right hand to oppose him. So here's the priest standing by the Lord and, and Satan's there accusing him and opposing him. And the Lord said to Satan, the Lord rebuke you, Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is this not a brand plucked from the fire? He's speaking about Joshua. Now listen to this. Now Joshua was clothed with filthy garments and was standing before the angel. You know, sometimes the devil accuses us and his accusations are true. Yeah, I am a dirty, rotten fink. I am a sinner. But listen to what God says in this vision so then he answered and spoke to those who stood before him, saying, Take away the filthy garments from him. 
And to him he said, See, I have removed your iniquity from you, and I will clothe you with rich robes. That's what happens to you and I. We confess our sins. We come to faith in Christ Jesus. And for us, the Bible, in fact, the New Testament calls it, we're given robes of righteousness. We're given Christ's righteousness. It's not our clothes. It's his clothes. He clothes us in his righteousness. What a beautiful, a beautiful picture there is. So they're clothed. And we see that uh, the first thing that's put on them is the tunic. This would have been the undergarment. It would have been the layer next to the skin, closest to the skin. And, uh, you know, the priests... They weren't like, okay, God didn't say, okay, I'm going to make these guys priests. I'm going to dress them up in these priestly outfits, and they're just going to sit there and look priestly. They actually had work to do. In fact, a lot of work to do, a lot of labor to do there in the tabernacle, offering sacrifices and, and, and the offerings and doing all this, inter, you know, this intercession and things for the, for the people of Israel. And so they just didn't sit around in their priestly garments. They worked. And so this undergarment, if you think about it, it wasn't wool, <laughs> okay? It was linen, nice, cool, comfortable linen. Because as they're working, they were to be comfortable and not sweating and toiling in their work. And just as the linen kept them cool and comfortable for you and me as priests, a royal priesthood, our work is not to be sweat and toil. In fact, Jesus said, Matthew eleven thirty, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now, I got a question just to think about. If, you, if, if you're serving the Lord and it's, it's sweat and toil, I got a question for you. Maybe you're running under your own power. You have to see this picture here. Maybe, maybe, that's, your, maybe that's you, okay? We, we talked about this in the worship team on Thursday night. It was kind of a... I, we were listening to something and somebody mentioned that. I, I got to take a picture of that. So, um, listen, if you're running and you're, you're, it's like ministry is just a bummer for you. You're burdened by it. You're just like, I hate doing that and stuff. Well, maybe you're running under your own power, your own strength, your own ability, maybe even your own inspiration. And what's the result? There's no power. There's no power. We're, in fact, we're going to be talking about that as far as the Holy Spirit later on. So the next thing that was put on them was the sash. And it was basically a belt that held the tunic, uh, you know, it, it tied the tunic onto them. And then the robe, the robe was blue. And, you know, I'm not going to go through every single one of these and the significance because we did talk about them when we went through our study in Exodus. And then there's the ephod <clears throat> that went over the robe. And uh, that was kind of like an apron. And the breastplate was attached to the ephod, as you see in the, in the graphic up there. Now, the breastplate, is, you can see it there. It's kind of a square thing that hung on the chest of the high priest. It had 12 different stones that were in gold settings. Each stone had a name of the tribe of the Israel, of the children of Israel. And so well, it's symbolically meant to, to impress upon Aaron and, and you know the high priest after him. They're representing the people before the Lord. And so the, the people are to be on their hearts, on their burden. You know, it's there to have a burden. The people are to be close to the heart of the priest that's doing the ministry. And, you know, when you and I are ministering, we need to minister, you know, that, that, that burden for the people. You know, we, we, some people get just focused on ministry and they forget about people. And it's just, it's ministry, ministry, ministry. Well, ministry is people. It's dealing with people. And so this was to remind them. Now, a very interesting thing is inside uh, a fold in the breastplate, it would be like a little pocket, was the Urim and Thummim. And you go, what in the world is the Urim and the Thummim? You know, we don't really know. 
Uh, some people think it was a little black stone and a white stone, and who knows? Uh, I was coming across something on the internet that said uh, Joseph Smith apparently had a set of them. I, I, I don't know if that's, I'm sure that's not true, to be honest with you. Um, but uh, the Urim and the Thummim, they're also known as the lights and perfections. And again, we're not really sure what they are, but we do know what the purpose was for them. The purpose for the Urim and the Thummim that was to discern God's will. So the high priest, he would reach his hands into there, pull them out, and, and however it indicated what God's will was. Well, you know, how do you and I, as New Testament priests, as New Testament uh, servants, as believers, how do we discern the Lord's will? Well, you know, it's interesting. I think there's two ways that we discern God's will as, as well today. What's fascinating to me is the Urim was known as the lights. That's why they come up with the lights and the perfection. And you think of light in the Bible. God's word is one way that you and I discern God's will. Psalm 119, verse 105, your word is a lamp to my, excuse me, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. God's word illumines things around us. And through God's word, God's overall general will is, is discerned. For example, I'll give you an example. God's word reveals to me that I am to love and to cherish my wife. You know, I don't, I don't have to, like, question God, should I, should I love my wife? No, it's right there in scriptures. I'm commanded to love and cherish my wife. I'm commanded to be willing to lay down my life sacrificially for her, to be kind to her, to be patient, not to be wrathful. I don't need specific discernment or guidance. I, it's right there in God's word. It's God's general will, you know. Uh, I, I know that I, I shouldn't steal. God's word says I shouldn't steal. So there's, God's word reveals his general will for us, for each of us. But then we also have the thummim. And the thummim was known as perfections or complete, perfect truth. I find that interesting because in John 16, verse 13, Jesus said, however, when he, the spirit of truth has come, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will tell you the things to come. So the first way you and I discern God's word is through his, through, discern God's will is through his word. The second way is through the Holy Spirit. You see, the Holy Spirit reveals God's specific will to me as an individual. How am I to specifically love my wife in a certain situation? I know I'm supposed to love her, but how am I to specifically do it in this particular situation? That's where the Holy Spirit comes in, speaking to me, guiding me. And so we're to listen to the Holy Spirit. And as you and I are sensitive to the Spirit, we're yielded to him, he'll guide us in those specific areas of our lives, what to do in specific situations. So for the believer... We don't have that Urim and Thummim, but we have God's Word and the Holy Spirit, the lights and perfection to guide us. Well, the next thing that, or actually the last thing that's listed here that's placed on Aaron was the turban, a, a, a hat basically. And it had the gold mitre or the plate, uh, which basically it said holiness to the Lord. And so the covering over the head, it's a symbol of submission. And holiness means to be set apart. And so the, the submission, the having this, this, this cover on the head meant that my authority as a priest or you and I as believers, whatever level or sphere, sphere of influence we have, our authority is submitted 
to the Lord and set apart to him. So they're washed, they're clothed, and now they're going to be anointed. Verse 10. Also, also Moses took the anointing oil and anointed the tabernacle and all that was in it and consecrated them. He sprinkled some of it on the altar seven times, anointed the altar and all its utensils and the laver in its base to consecrate them. And he poured some of the anointing oil on Aaron's head and anointed him to consecrate him. If you look throughout scriptures, oil is quite frequently a symbol of the Holy Spirit. So interesting here. Moses sprinkles or he anoints inanimate objects. You go, why would he do that? By the way, there's a ministry in Rochester that will anoint your home for a fee. I, 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 I know them. Uh, well, I don't know them, but I know of them. Um, and I don't know if they base it on the size of your house as far as the fee. Uh, they might give group discounts. I'm being facetious here. They might even do free estimates. I don't know, but anyways. But seriously, why, why sprinkle or why anoint inanimate objects? It seems kind of like, what, what's the deal behind that? Well, this is why. Because everything that I use, everything I possess, everything is to be consecrated to the Lord. My job's to be consecrated to the Lord. My house, my finances, my smartphone, is to be consecrated to the Lord, even my car. Those things would be set apart and used for the Lord. So in the, notice here in, in verses 10 through 12 that these inanimate objects were sprinkled, you know, so just a little sprinkling of oil on them. But look what they did to Aaron. They poured it on him. Moses poured it on him. You know, some people are content with just a sprinkling of the Holy Spirit. And there are others that are like, man, I just want, I just want everything. I just pour, pour it out on me, Lord. Pour the Holy Spirit on me. That's why we have the upper room on every once, every uh, uh, third Sunday of the month. We have this gathering together. We pray. We seek the Lord. We're just coming for the Lord, and we're like, Lord, we want all that you have for us. Just pour out your Holy Spirit on us. That's the whole purpose for our upper room gathering. Interesting. Luke chapter eleven, nine verses thirteen. Jesus is talking about asking God and praying in God. And, and there's a couple different accounts of it in the different Gospels, but I love what it says in Luke's Gospel. Jesus said this, Luke 11, verse 9, So I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. You guys know that scripture, right? For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, it will be opened. If a son asks for bread... From any father among you, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent instead of a fish? Or if he asks for an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask for him? That's all you have to do is ask for that anointing of the Holy Spirit. You, you can ask for more. And, you know, it's like salvation. You receive it by faith. Funny thing is, and this kind of a practice, I don't, I don't normally, I mean, if somebody asks me to pray and anoint them with oil, I, I will do it. I'm, I'm more than, I've got a little, little vial of this olive oil. It's got, it's got, I think it's got rosemary scent to it, you know, so it's, it's uh, 
uh, or frankincense, I should say, not rosemary, frankincense. So it's, it's like, you know, it's from Israel type stuff. So it's like this little, little vial. And so what I'll do when, when I pray with somebody is I'll take that little vial, I'll, I'll open it, and I'll dab a little bit on my finger, and I'll place it on their heads. Now, nobody ever trained me what I'm supposed to do. So I, so I like, do the cross. I hope they don't think I'm Catholic. But, you know, it's like, I, I'm like, well, I guess I'll just do the cross. Other people, they just put a little dab. But it's just a little dab. But you know, if you wanted to be biblically accurate, <laughs> I'd be taking a jar, <laughs> a bottle, a big half-gallon bottle of olive oil, and I'd be pouring it out on you, because that's what the anointing was in the Old Testament. In fact, it's described there, Psalms 133, verse 2. It's like the precious oil upon the head running down on the beard, the beard of Aaron running down on the edge of his garments. So you ask me to be or, uh, anointed with oil, you know, hey, uh, your clothes is going to get oily, your, your, everything's it's gonna be, it's gonna be a mess. But that was what the anointing, anointing was in the Holy Spirit, I mean, in the Old Testament. You know, we go, man, I just want a little bit of the Holy Spirit, just enough to, you know, just sprinkle me. All right. Look at verse 13. Then Moses brought Aaron's sons and put tunics on them, girded them with the sashes, and put hats on them, as the Lord had commanded Moses. And he brought the bull for the sin offering. Then Aaron and his sons laid their hands on the head of the bull for the sin offering, and Moses killed it. Then he took the blood and put some of the, on the horns of the altar all around with his finger, and he purified the altar. And he poured the oil, excuse me, he poured the blood at the base of the altar and consecrated it to make atonement for it. Then he took all the fat that was on the entrails, the fatty lobe attached to the liver, and the two kidneys with their fat, and Moses burned them on the altar. But the bull, its hide, its flesh, and its offal, he burned with fire outside the camp as the Lord had commanded Moses. And you might say, well, wait a minute, we just talked about a cleansing with water, you know, a picture of, you know, coming to faith in Christ Jesus and stuff. Well, that only uh, coming, being cleansed with water, it represented the symbolic cleansing from sin. But listen, when you and I come to Christ, who's the door, and we come to him in humility and we confess our sins, as the Bible says, we're forgiven, we're cleansed. That's a picture of that washing. But that doesn't mean that there's still a sacrifice that didn't have to take place. There's still a punishment for sin because God's a perfectly just God and he still requires blood, the price of the price of death for, the, for sin. Now praise God for you and I, Jesus Christ accomplished that on the cross. And so when Aaron and his sons laid their hands on the bull for the sin offering, the symbolism that they're doing, it's substitution. What they're doing is they're saying, this animal is taking my sin upon it and dying as a substitute in my place. It's exactly what Jesus Christ did on the cross for you and I. Died in our place. Verse 18, then he brought the ram as the burnt offering, and Aaron and his sons laid their hands on the head of the ram, and Moses killed it. Then he sprinkled the blood all around on the altar, and he cut the ram into pieces, and Moses burned the head, the pieces, and the fat. Then he washed the entrails and the legs in water, and Moses burned the whole ram on the altar. It was a burnt sacrifice for a sweet aroma, an offering made by fire to the Lord, as the Lord had commanded Moses. So the sin offering addresses the sin issue, the burnt offering addresses the lordship issue. 
you know, sometimes if someone's come up to you and maybe they've, they've you know, asked you if you're a Christian or whatever, they, they say, is Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior? And your response, I'm sure is, hopefully it is anyways, absolutely, Jesus Christ is my Savior. You know, he paid the price for my sin on the cross. He saved me from my sins. We love the fact that Jesus is our Savior, but the next question is, is he the Lord of our lives? And that goes a little bit further, and some people, they struggle with that aspect of it. What does Lord mean? Here's a dictionary definition. Someone or something having power, authority, or influence, a master or a ruler. So when you're saying Jesus is my Lord, you're saying he's in full control. He's, he's full in authority over me. I'm completely surrendered to him. That's the picture of the burnt offering, completely wholly devoting yourself to the Lord. And so Aaron and his sons, they lay their hands on the ram of the burnt offering. Now, it's not so much a substitute as much as identification. It's not like, okay, this animal is going to be wholly offered to the Lord, so I don't have to. <laughs> That's not what's taking place. What's taking place is they're laying their hands on that animal. It's as this animal is going to be wholly offered to the Lord, so am I offering myself wholly to you, Lord God. It's identification that's taking place. So we have the sin offering, we have the burnt offering, and now we have the ram of consecration, verse 22. And he brought the second ram, the ram of consecration. Then Aaron and his sons laid their hands on the head of the ram, and Moses killed it. Also he took some of its blood and put it on the tip of Aaron's right ear, on the thumb of his right hand, and on the big toe of his right foot. Then he brought Aaron's sons, and Moses put some of the blood on the tips of their right ears, on the thumbs of their right hands, and on the big toes of their right feet. And Moses sprinkled the blood all around on the altar. Isn't that an interesting picture? What's taking place here? This is, remember, this is the blood of the consecration offering. So being applied to the tip of their right ear, what it's symbolizing is may your ears forever be opened to hearing the Lord. You know, how many times if you go through scriptures, you could read it over and over again where the Bible says, he who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says. It's all over in scriptures. And so this is saying, Lord, open my ears to hear your voice. Anoint my ears to hear your voice. Then the blood is applied to the thumb of the right hand, the right hand, the things you do with your hands. May the work of your hands forever be done for the glory of the Lord. You're not working for yourself anymore. You're not even working for your boss. You're working for the Lord Jesus Christ in whatever occupation you are in. Colossians 3.23, And whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not to man. And so this is, Lord, anoint my hands to glorify you in all that I do, whatever I do. And applied to the tip of the right toe. It's, just, it's, symbol, it's symbolizing, may the paths of your feet always be directed by the Lord. Psalm 17, verse 5, uphold my steps in your paths that my footsteps may not slip. And draw, uh, Psalm 119, 133, direct my steps by your word and let no iniquity have dominion over me. And so what this is saying is, Lord, anoint my feet to follow your paths. Verse 25, then he took the fat and the fat tail 
all the fat that was on the entrails, the fatty lobe attached to the liver, the two kidneys and their fat, and the right thigh. And from the basket of unleavened bread that was before the Lord, he took one unleavened cake, a cake of bread anointed with oil, and one wafer, and put them on the fat on the right thigh. He put all these in Aaron's hands and in his son's hands, and waved them as a wave offering before the Lord. Then Moses took them from their hands and burned them on the altar, on the burnt offering. They were consecration offerings for a sweet aroma. That was an offering made by fire to the Lord. And Moses took the breast and waved it as a wave offering before the Lord. It was part of the ram of consecration as the Lord had commanded Moses. Something interesting is taking place here. And I want to back up here and just kind of give you a little bit of a, I'm not a Hebrew scholar, but I'm just going to do a little bit here. And Chapter 8, verses 10 and verse 12. I'm reading out of the New King James Version. And in the New King James Version, verses 10 and 12 mention consecrate. Um, but the King James Version translates in those two verses, verses 10 and 12, consecrate as sanctified or sanctification or san sanctified. The Hebrew word is kadash, and it's a verb meaning to be set apart, to be holy but it also means to be consecrated. And so the New King James Version translates both those words as consecrate. Then the rest of the verses, as we've been reading them, and as you go through and you read chapter 8, wherever you see the word consecrate in the New King James, the King James agrees, except for those two verses, the King James agrees. And so they both uh, have the word, they both translate that word consecrate. And that word is, comes from the root word mala, which means, interestingly, to fill the hand. Eh, interesting. Now, I'm not a Hebrew scholar, but it seems that the word kadash, which means to be, to be set apart, to be holy, uh, it's translated sanctifying King James and in consecrating New King James. It's the end result, to be set apart, to be holy. But the word mala, to fill the hand is the means to that end. I don't know if I'm, I'm probably confusing you guys. I'm not sure. <laughs> You'll notice verse 27. Here I'm going to tie it all together. You'll notice verse 27. For the ram of the consecration uh, and Aaron's, his, their hands are empty in verse 27. And Moses takes the components of that offering and he places them in Aaron's hands and they do the wave offering. The priest is also holding Aaron's hands. You know, Moses is holding Aaron's hands. And then they take the meat off, the, the, all, the, all the components of that sacrifice, and then they place it on the fire and burning it. Very interesting. My point in all of this is our consecration to the Lord it's not what I have or who I am. I'm going to consecrate it to the Lord. I'm going to dedicate it to the Lord. Uh, it's coming to the Lord and laying all those things down on the altar and just saying, Lord, I'm coming to you with empty hands. Just fill my hands. I want to be available. That's basically what's taking place here or what's being pictured here, for example. It's, Lord, I set up myself apart for you. Here I am with empty hands. And it doesn't come with any preconceived notions or anything. Uh, yesterday, and I, we shared this with some of you, or some of you even visited us, but 
my wife uh, sews uh, purses and she makes jewelry and uh, I do a little bit of watercolor painting and so anyway we had a, a bunch of stuff that we sold at the craft sale over at the Mayo Civic Center this this past weekend and uh, so we went Friday afternoon set it up and then Saturday morning we had to be there real early so we got there at 7 um, to uh, finish our setup and get ready for the customers that were coming in at 8 a.m. and so on our way there we were praying and uh, our prayer in the in the morning was basically this Bless our sales, which the Lord did, by the way. Uh, please bless our sales. But we also said, but don't let this just be about sales. Let this be about interacting with people in ministry. We, we just want to be available. Lord, we're just opening up our hands. And if you give us an opportunity to minister to someone, Lord, uh, let that happen. And you, guess what? When you pray that way, God answers those prayers. Uh, we had an amazing he answered it amazingly. Like I said, he blessed our sales, but that wasn't the whole purpose. So we had this lady next to us, and she was selling tie-dye T-shirts. Teresa's wearing one of them. <laughs> her name was Laurel. And I get, Teresa saw her struggling a little bit with some stuff, so she was helping her. And then later on, I, 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 took a, I let her go to the bathroom. She was by herself, and so I manned her booth while she went to the bathroom. And we got to talking and, and uh, found out she rides a Harley. So I was like, okay, you're my kind of girl. And so we were, you know, we had that connection there. So we're talking and everything and stuff and and uh, so she's kind of she's kind of talking a little bit and we're very you know very friendly and everything well then later on she pours out her heart to Teresa and here come to find out she was she had cancer she came to Mayo or to Rochester because she was supposed to be on palliative care they said they said say goodbye to your friends and your family you're not gonna survive she came to Mayo Clinic. She survived. She's, she went through all this cancer treatment, and uh, she's still in the middle of it. In fact, that's why she was struggling to lift things. Teresa's like, she just doesn't have any energy and stuff. It's because she's dealing with all this stuff. But, you know, and I had shared with her earlier that I was a pastor. Teresa shared, you know, we're, we're Christians. We're going to be praying for you. And uh, so we, we just, just an opportunity to minister to her. Then... There was this other vendor that comes over towards the end of the show and she wanted to look at Teresa's jewelry and out of the blue she just starts telling us, yeah, she goes, uh, I'm a, you know, I'm, I'm an, I was an alcoholic and, you know, the doctors, I've got cirrhosis of the liver and the doctor said, you got to do something, you're going to die. And she said, so my whole family's drinks and everything and, and so I had to stop drinking and so I had to do something so I came up with this craft. And so Teresa's talking to her and so, so, you know, I can identify with you and all that stuff and, and, and then there's this lady, this other lady and, and I had and maybe I went to the bathroom or something. I came back, and Teresa's talking to this lady, and they're in a deep conversation. And I'm thinking, wow, I don't know this lady. I've never seen this lady before. And I go, well, she, she must be a coworker of Teresa, an old coworker, because I mean, they're, they're, they seem to be so close, and they're talking about some really deep stuff. <laughs> and so, the, and they talk for a long time, and so. Then they leave, and I said, I said, Teresa, where do you know this lady from? She goes, I don't. <laughs> I just asked her one question, and it just poured out her life. She's going through a very heavy time, and Teresa was just encouraging her. You know, it's just being available. You don't have to be in the workplace. You don't have to be, you could be a stay-at-home mom or grandma. You could be, it just, Lord, I just want to be available. God will answer those prayers if you're sincere about it. And so uh, we've got people to pray for. And uh, what, a, what a neat opportunity to minister. You know, the Bible says, for the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to him. He's looking for people that are available. He's looking. And, and I guarantee you ask that, you say, Lord, here I am. I've got empty hands. Fill them. I'm available. 
he doesn't need skill. He doesn't need talent. You know, sometimes, sometimes as Christians, we make people projects. You ever done that before? I remember when we were first married. Teresa comes from a family that one of her family members is a Christian now, but the rest of her family's not. And I remember her brother, you know, younger brother, and, and we thought, okay, he's our project. At least that's, I don't think my wife had it that way, but he's our project, man. We gotta, we gotta witness to him, we gotta see him get saved. And so everything we're doing is trying to get him to be saved. And so we, we went out to dinner with him and his girlfriend, and we went to a movie, and they're like, what movie? Well, we got a movie, we took, we took him to a Billy Graham movie. You know, it's like, it's, everything was like, we're trying to push him into the kingdom, you know, manipulate him in. And, and we do that sometimes as Christians. We make people projects. Don't make people your project. It's, it's, they can see right through it, first of all. They can see through the, the fakeness of that. But if you're just available and just say, Lord, just fill my hands. I just, just use me. Man, I tell you, he does that. And it's genuine. And it's, it's, and it's amazing how that happens. So there's a beautiful picture here. They come, their hands empty. And Moses puts the, 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 comp, the components of the sacrifice in their hands, fills their hands, and then they're off, they offer it on the sacrifice. Verse 30. Then Moses took some of the anointing oil and some of the blood which was on the altar, and he sprinkled it on Aaron, on his garments, on his sons, and on the garments of his sons with him. And he consecrated Aaron, his garments, his sons, and the garments of his sons with him. So now we see the blood, which, you know, we know from the New Testament, it's a picture of Christ's sacrifice. But we also see the anointing oil, which we talked about earlier, is a picture of the Holy Spirit. And the sprinkling was a mixture of both, blood and the Spirit. It's not one without the other. They're, they're together. Verse 31, And Moses said to Aaron and his sons, Boil the flesh at the door of the tabernacle of meeting, and eat it there with the bread that is in the basket of consecration offerings, as, com as I commanded, saying, Aaron and his son shall eat it. What remains of the flesh and of the bread you shall burn with fire, and you shall not go outside the door of the tabernacle of meeting for seven days until the days of your consecration are ended. For seven days he shall consecrate you, as he has done this day, so the Lord has commanded to do, to make atonement for you. Therefore you shall stay at the door of the tabernacle of meeting day and night for seven days, and keep the charge of the Lord so that you may not die. For so I have been commanded. So Aaron and his sons did all the things that the Lord had commanded by the hand of Moses. So these sacrifices... The anointing with blood on the tip of the right ear, right thumb, big toe, the consecration meal, all these things, and we see it in Exodus 29, verses 35 through 37, it was to re be repeated for seven days. It's not like you just do it once and you're done. Every day for seven days, this is taking place. That daily consecration meal, the boiled meat and the unleavened bread, uh, whatever wasn't eaten on that same day, you were to, they were to burn it on the altar. Why? Because God wants fresh fellowship daily. He doesn't want stale fellowship with him. He wants fresh fellowship. That lingering in the tabernacle, they were just to hang out there for seven days, not leaving the door and night for seven days. And you know this, when we get to chapter nine, that's now they're consecrated. Now they're starting to minister in the temple, or excuse me, in the tabernacle. Chapter eight is just a preparation for that. And so part of that preparation is just waiting, just waiting. And you know, you and I, we live in a society that's instant, right? We don't like to wait. I hate waiting. 
You know, we go to the gas station and we look for the, the row that doesn't have the fewer cars or the bank tellers, you know. We, we're always looking for the shortest because we don't want to wait. And that's the culture that we live in. Waiting is a lost art, it seems. But as Christians, sometimes we have to wait. And so this consecration, Aaron and his sons, they had to patiently wait, repeating all these things each day before they were consecrated and ready to minister to the Lord on behalf of the people. So does that mean that I'm saying if you want to be consecrated to the Lord, you've got to wait seven days? <laughs> Who knows? It could be seven years. Listen, seven's the number of completion. God's the one that determines the completion. In fact, uh, Wednesday night in Galatians 4, we were talking about that verse, 4 verse 4, but when the fullness of the time had come, God sent forth his son. And we, we looked at that time when God sent Jesus Christ. It was a perfect time in history, a perfect time. But it was the fullness, it was when God determined to send his son. And so God determines that. God determines when you're ready for service. You, so basically, what's our job? It's what we just read. Keep a short account with God. And what I mean by that is you commit a sin, for, ask for forgiveness, repent of it. Don't, don't hang on to it. Just deal with it. That's, that's one of the things we're to do. And then stay in God's word. Understand what the will of the Lord is. You don't need to necessarily. I mean, some people, you know, you go to a counselor. But listen, God's word can guide you in everything. Go to God's word first. What does God say? Understand the will of the Lord. And then be freshly anointed with that Holy Spirit of God daily, being sensitive to his voice and leading. Lord, today, guide my hands, guide my feet, guide my ears. What I listen to, Lord, I just want to listen to you. I don't want to listen to any other voices. And then linger at the tabernacle. What does that mean? That means just stay in fellowship with the Lord. Spend time in prayer. Spend time in his word. Spend time just in his presence. Sometimes, you know, waiting on the Lord, it, 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 sometimes it's like we feel like we've got to do something. We've got to talk. We've got to pray. We've got to read. You know, sometimes it's just sitting before the Lord quietly, just allowing, just, just waiting and just waiting on him. And then being available. Let him fill your hands. And in his timing, he'll say, okay, here's your opportunity. And it all comes together to minister for the Lord. What a beautiful picture we see here in chapter 8. It's my prayer for each one of us that we would seek that consecration. Because again, we're a royal priesthood. God wants to use us to minister to this world. There's a world that's dying all around us. And they're on their way to hell. And so we need to be ready to minister. And, and, and you know, sometimes I go, okay, I'm going to go do this. I'm going to do that. I'm going to minister here. You know, and I'm not knocking any of those things. But I tell you what, in my life, my experience is the greatest time is when God's presented the opportunity. And I've just been there available and ready and responded. It's, it's been a, a much more fruitful than I'm like, okay, I'm going to go and talk to that person about the Lord, and I'm going to make that, you know, that, that's my project. I'm going to get that person saved. But a lot more fruitful when the Lord does it. So I just want to encourage you in that this morning. Why don't you stand up and let's go to the Lord in prayer.